Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 16th, 2016. The last three episodes were about news itself, what was given to us as news, which isn't news at all really, because we live in a, basically a, a managed reality. That's the scientific management, you see, which we're all, we're all under and designed a long time ago. And the media is more and more and more becoming very obviously controlled by one system. And uh, it's interesting, even some of the WikiLeaks and various things that have come out in the past to do with that, to, to show you the, the big moguls all working together, including together, to make sure they have all the same stories out, right down to even who to vote for. Uh, they're, they're all in agreement. Now, if you have that going on, then you, you don't have a free press, do you? You honestly don't have a free press. So let's, let's, let's forget this nonsense that you have a free press. Let's forget it. I think it was Adam Curtis who did a whole bunch of series on on basically how to control the populations and control the mind. He mentioned different uh, projects that came from the Rand Corporation and so on. But he did go through television and, and use Britain as an example of how they would keep the old culture going for a little while after World War II, and then they started to change it again, you see. Uh, to, to, to open up the culture to, in preparation for the, joining the EU and internationalism, uh, all the things that the public were kept in the dark about at the time. Because it had all been planned. And how to create the society that would, that would, it wouldn't even complain as it was getting stamped on and put out, out of action, basically, or even out of existence. And it's never stopped, naturally. It's never ever stopped. This whole using media to control all of us. I've gone through the histories before of the Rockefellers back in the 30s who brought in the top moguls of newspapers, and then, which they'd already owned, I pretty well think. And uh, they said, and they did a survey with a think tank to find out how many uh, major media outlets they would need, or, or newspapers, or magazines, uh, that they would need to, to give a standardized opinion on every topic across the, the, the whole country of, of, of the U.S. And at the time, they said, I think it was four, four of, of the main, main newspapers, and every, else one, every other one would follow. They'd have also have magazines like, like Harper's and things like that too, and even ones designed for civil servants to read, because everyone in turn must be indoctrinated along their narrow vision, their tunnel vision to the agenda, without really knowing what's going on, thinking they do, but never really, really knowing. And nothing's ever changed. We're in a one-system methodology, basically, of control today. It's one system with a definite agenda, and we've been under it for an awful long time, an awful long time. Uh, They've used various techniques, of course, to destroy what was, to bring in the new. That was all written about, too, and I've done so many talks on it, I won't go into it again, but... Uh, as I say, tonight, back to news, what is news, I'm going to do part four, an actual part four of the real news, a sparse, usual, threatening kind, sign every agreement or be left behind. That's all we're hearing now. We've got to sign all the agreements. And all these agreements are done deals because 
If any holdout on any particular agreement happens, it's because they've got the handout in that country, wherever it happens to be, for more money if they join. For those at the top, not for the public, but for those at the top, because we're living in a very corrupt system. Same as the Soviet system, the higher they went, the more corrupt it was. And the people lived like kings, really, in the higher level of the Politburo and so on. So that's where we are, because it's really the same system for those who haven't quite figured it out. Based on this idea of an atheistic society run by professionals from birth to death. I think that the same system that Charles Galton Darwin talked about in his book, The Next Million Years, where he said that the majority of the public wouldn't need much of a mind at all because all the decisions would be made for them by the state, by experts, you see, scientifically controlled. And that's where we've been for an awful long time. Most of the folks' thoughts out there are not their own. The opinions that they've been guided to have are, would never have originated by themselves anyway. If they'd, if they'd actually done any study on, on the, the particular topics. And, um, and so really we're products, as I said so many times, we are products of very clever scientific indoctrination from birth onwards right to death. Most folk never know uh, that most opinions they have were given to them. They're authorized opinions, we're, we're good people, so we'll, we'll, like to, we'll like to have good authority. So when you believe you've got good authority on something, you'll adopt the opinions that are given to you. It's, it works awfully well. Countless studies have been done uh, on that alone over well over 100 years, so it works awfully well. We also have the standard dissidents from youth who rebel against anything, and they're brought into the fold too, to do the rebelling, which the, those who are already the masters want them to, to rebel about, to change and alter and even destroy society, the things that worked to bring in again the new, you see. And it's a worldwide system, remember. It's a world order. Uh, not a partial world order, but a world order. Well, maybe a, maybe with occasional exception. Uh, but uh, for everybody else, it's going to be a world order where you simply do what you're told. But it'll be a kind one, you see, where you'll believe everything is for your own good and even not knowing is for your own good. And, and you'll go through your whole life parroting all the opinions given to you by the experts on television as they have this farcical, um, pretended debate on whatever topic it happens to be. It's sad but true. It's very sad but true. And through fiction, too, is carried on. And, and so much of it is in fiction uh, to show you who's bad. Oh, you're bad because you have this opinion. And the villain always has all the, all the opinions which are negative. You see, oh, and, and so, so you're trained in a countless ways because you all want to be good, don't you? It's just human nature. So that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, too, is they don't tell you what's going on because the media never makes any fuss about the big meetings that are going on and big international treaties constantly being signed by the global government, because that's what it is. To be a, a global government, you don't need a place, remember, of uh, like a parliament. You, you collectively are the government. They call it governance, too, so people who hear about it don't get scared or, or startled about it. So it sounds rather benign, like governance, you know. Without governance, they'll say, oh, yeah, there'll be chaos. So you say, well, I guess they're right. But when they're talking about governance, they're talking about global governance. And that makes you a completely different article, you might say, or product from the old you uh, of the nation. 
and even paying your taxes and everything else, it makes a, a bit of a mockery of that too, because most of them then go abroad to other sort other areas, which will tell you are to help poor folk, etc., which never are to help anybody except those who plan the world order. And there's been countless world orders in the past. Some of them were based on utopianism. Other ones were based on superiority and supremacy. And, and it all comes into play from the ancient times to the present, because it's always the same order, basically, it runs it all. And those at the top of the order, even when they pretend to oppose each other, are simply playing their part. It's such an intense system, which truly smells utter victory for the first time. And uh, and you can feel and sense them, and even read about them chomping at the bit, you might say, to get the last little bit of hurdles done and jumped over and done with, because they want to turn and, and make sure that there could never be an overthrow, a counter-revolution, remember. See, what you're under is a revolution, if you haven't figured it out. It's a revolution which has convinced people that the revolutionaries are necessary under the UN and all of its, its, its privately funded non-governmental organizations there are simply armies which uh, appear in public, get lots of media attention, and, and seem to protest things on behalf of the masters who rule the world. That's who funds them. And your tax money, too, funds them as well. So you, you understand it's, it's well underway, but they really are chomping at the bits. And, and most so-called utopias, when, when they, they, they're predominant, then off comes the velvet glove, or off comes the face mask, too. And the wolf really has teeth and it wants to use them. It's a sad thing, but true. Complete intolerance. Complete intolerance goes with this idea of what they they tell you to believe is utopia and peace. Never forget that. But yeah, it's pretty well over and done with now. And George Orwell gave us a, a glimpse of it all. And a warning, too. Going way back to the 1930s, and he said that the proles, the ordinary people, you see, the proletariat basically, uh, would be given a, a fake reality, and they were taught to trust everything that the, those above them, again, specialists and experts in the system that ran them, they were, that everything they said was absolutely true. No questions about it. The implication being that uh, the proles were all rather simple, this ordinary simple people. Those who were selected to run the system, the bureaucracy, etc., uh, were different. They, they, they were prone to double think. The proles couldn't get double think because they, this, their program was simplistic. They never questioned it, and they would give no other view of reality than the one that was presented to them. That was it. Uh, but but those who were selected to, to, to do the work of running the system on behalf of the masters could have double think. They were, that was a big disease, having double think. Now, double think was a way of holding two opposing opinions about the same topic in your head at the same time, and both would be correct. This technique works today in many areas of our lives. 
and we don't even notice it. But uh, people can have contradictory opinions at the same time, and they're both true. That's also where relativity comes into this whole con game of relativity. Uh, you bring it in to 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 reality, and uh, you can have different opinions on the same thing, and each one could be correct. You see, and of course they're not. That's just the way it is. There can only be one truth in one particular area. Especially in things like physics, for instance. Uh, you can also have theoretical physics where they'll bring all the cons into it and spend a great career just making lots of money on guesswork uh, and appearing on shows for television or radio and talking about nonsense, basically. Uh, because no, there's no one there to contradict them or prove the contradiction in certain areas of it at the moment. In other words, they're like futurists to extend. It's just, just doing guesses about things. So that's where we are with this kind of thing too. And it's the same thing with reality that we live in, and how what reality is. Uh, you can be made insane. You you can bring up a whole nation to be insane. Using different techniques to make them insane. I used to be fascinated with the, the, this evil experimentation that was going on in, against an atheistic, bureaucratic uh, mentality at the end of, say, the industrial age with sciences into the early 20th century, for instance. Uh, I remember watching these new scientists that were like gods, just yes, how they promoted them all like gods, watching a documentary from Russia, a PR documentary, public relations propaganda, to show you how advanced this, this new utopian system happened to be. And they had a, they, they cut off the head of a dog. And this is the day of, of Pavlov and all the rest of them, cut off the head of a dog and had uh, tubes going in to, to basically keep that creature alive, the head. Uh, this is the, the, the turn, really, the early 20th century. And this was getting shown in Britain for the supporters of socialism. Not that just the followers. The followers at the bottom, the proles, as I say, just get the basic, a basic, different, completely fake version of what socialism was supposed to be. And they never get to the, the higher meanings. Lenin said the same thing in, in Russia. Uh, the, the, three, the three versions, one for the, the, the masses at the bottom of what it's for, uh, one for the middle management, and another, a completely different version for those who manage the whole system and own the system, basically, at the top. Nothing has changed. But uh, the socialists in Britain were so uh, you know, amazed at all this science. Oh, my goodness, look, science, science, science. And science was to replace God, you see. The first thing they had to do was to eliminate religions because that was a competitor for obedience, total obedience, and the state wanted total obedience. Now you're into the world state, and that's where you are with the whole darn thing today. And believe you me, as I say, when the wolf shows you his true face and takes off the velvet gloves, you're going to see the same system as they make sure there's no what they call counter-revolution. Remember, most of this revolution that they put on you this time was Fabian style, pretty bloodless, except for various countries that are getting bombed right now across the world. And as they standardize the world and eliminate other problems too, like more religious people, for instance. They must eliminate that altogether and make science and experts uh, 
uh, the ultimate God. So that's why you've got so many folk going into science of, of various, various kinds. And that's why they're, they're, they're using them against the public on global warming or CO2 taxes and so on. And they need to have a, a, a global governing system uh, to, to manage the atmosphere of the world and make you pay, pay, pay as they bring you into austerity. It's, it's such a... You've got to stand back and say, this is wonderfully done if you happen to be um, some kind of demon. <laughs> I mean, really, it's so, so perfectly done. So perfectly done. And it's, it's done Fabian style, intergenerationally. A bit more here, a bit more there. By the year 2000 and so on, so we'll have this in place. By the year so on, so we'll have that in place. It's all, it's all uh, basically divvied up, all the different projects, to bring all things together at the same time. It's, it's beautifully done, following it that way. Because it's war, you see. And these guys who run the world, uh, want, they mean business all times. They mean business. Therefore, it's never been so obvious, never been so obvious that there's one system running the world and all your thoughts, which decides what you're going to watch on your television channels and stations and what, uh, what truths, untruths, as I like to call them at the top, you're going to be shown and what you're going to be led to believe. Rather perfect. Now, getting back to the topic here, uh, they don't make a big splash on the media or the news, about any of these meetings. If they ever hear the titles of these meetings, that's all that they'll tell you. They don't, they don't tell you what they're even about. Many of them are very misleading. Or if they do get to try to give you some explanation, it's utter lies and opposites of what it represents. They have no problem lying to the people. After all, we're all the proles as far as they're concerned. If, if you're not a prole, then you're one of their, their team down below that's very obedient, well paid, and, and you'll, you'll do whatever your bosses tell you. That's the civil service and bureaucracies, etc. Therefore, let's get into it tonight because it's really in a steamroll now for the whole planet. And they can't, they can't lose now because there's very little left to conquer. And they can't have a counter-revolution of people waking up and saying, Oh, we've had enough of this nonsense. And um, simply by using disobedience, civil disobedience or whatever, overthrowing it all. I, that, I, I don't hold out any hope for that at all, to be honest with you. The Gandhi characters out there too, uh, they aren't going to, they've all been taken over long ago, if not created by the far, far left. It's only a tool of the, of the elitists at the top. And uh, <laughs> it's quite something. Uh, it truly is, as I say, it's so perfect. But then again, when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of think tanks, fully paid, full time, working on every aspect of society uh, over the last hundred and over a hundred years, for sure, they can document to make all this happen. Then, uh, no, it's not surprising that they can do it. Not surprising at all. Standardization was the first thing too. Through the United Nations, that's why they need wars. League of Nations in World War One, it blossomed into the United Nations in World War Two with more powers. Uh, the IMF, Bank for International Settlements, and all the other con games out there, uh, the World Bank and so on, all run by the same, same crew. They designed it all. And I've gone through the histories of that too. Go into CuttingThroughTheMidies.com and, and use the archives. If, you've had, if you don't know they're there, they are there. And there's lots and lots of talks, thousands of talks I've given about this in the past. 
to help break through your indoctrinations for those who want to. And um, I keep adding to it all the time. But you're, you're in a very awfully well scientifically controlled society. Standardization through the educational system, UNICEF and all the rest of the systems out there are all international systems under the UN. Every government that signed the treaties under the UN uh, were basically selling their countries out from the beginning. They knew it too, though, the politicians, because they know where their bread is butter and where their career is, is definitely um, greased as well. And they get lots of perks, even very good health care, things you'll never even realize actually exist. Uh, they do get benefits in that line if they really serve their master as well as they take it from you and even take away your painkillers and then offer you death pills to save them money because they, they, like, they like money. They like more, all money in numbers is just power, more power to them for their own agenda. Remember, they see themselves as a separate species at the top who are going off into the new uh, system uh, step by step over the next 100, 200 years, that kind of thing. Blame it with science and progress, they call it progress and destroying everything else on the way, even the family unit was part of their agenda of progress. Well documented, well written about, but by their own books, in fact. So there's nothing here that I guess at. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, I try not to get despondent, as I'm sure you're all the same as well, because you want to be told nice Disneyland movies, how bad people always get it at the end of the movies, and, and the good guys win. But do the good guys win in reality, in real, real history, do they? Especially when you have such a, a foggy version of history that's always being altered. Quite some. Now here's an article from India to do with uh, the, the, the next COP meeting. Basically the, the Paris Agreement on Climate Change is referred to as the birth of a baby. And at Marrakesh, this November, the baby has to begin to walk, it says. And this is the global movement for climate change mitigation that crossed a key milestone October the 7th. The Paris Agreement formally entered into force after 55 countries with cumulative emissions, which is a nonsensical thing, but this is how they put it, you see. Uh, accounting for 55% of global greenhouse gas emissions ratified the agreement, whose text was agreed upon at the Conference of Parties. 21 meeting in Paris last December. So all parties and observers have noted with glee that this entry into force is the terminology they're using. You better remember that too. It's awfully important terminology. That's happened a lot quicker than earlier expected as an indication there's a political will to do something about, you know, the weather, which is raining or it's dry or, you know, how the weather is. And says, as this paper has pointed out, it's to do with really to do about uh, this nonsensical thing about degrees. Uh, it says, to get more consensus that increases in global warming has to be limited to two degrees above 1850 levels. It's a wonderful con, isn't it, since there's nobody alive today that was alive by then. Uh, never mind a thermometer that was even standardized by then with anybody else's that was dead accurate. Anyway, toward, to, towards this end, uh, countries voluntarily committed to doing what they put on the table as intention, intended nationally determined contributions. Actually, contributions is called uh, intended nationally determined contributions, or uh, INDCs. <laughs> 
For instance, India said it would bring down emissions intensity of GDP by 30% over 2005 levels and 40% of India's electricity generating capacity in the year 2030 will be non-fossil-based, fuel-based. What's well, amazing how they're opening up all these new coal ones over there because they're allowed to. So it's, it's double-speak again. Double-speak, that's what I mentioned earlier. Here you have double-speak. Then they mentioned the usual nutcase who's well paid to do his con job, and that's uh, James Hansen of Columbia University, the former NASA scientist, the guy who's always, you know, this guy's falling, this guy's falling, and leads the radicals to smash down fences around uh, coal plants and stuff. And he described it as worthless words because he's wanting totalitarianism here, you see. He's wanting you get get again, he wants that velvet glove off. And he wants uh, he wants them to be um, enforceable techniques used by the by the world government basically, right? And that's how this article here goes on. Another one too from the usual people, you know, like the Guardian, <laughs> which is really one of the the best um, uh, arms of this whole con job of the system, really. It says global sea levels are rising fast. So where does that leave the cities most at risk? And uh, maybe it'll simply capsize, like 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 this with the weight you see uh, uh, on islands, uh, like that Democrat said in the U.S. He, 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 really, he really thought that too many folk were on that island that would capsize. He thought they floated. He thought they, he thought islands floated. He's an ideal. That's the ideal person to put in politics for the party, right? Yeah, there you go. But anyway. And his current pro- uh, projections of global average sea level rise are now expected to double by 2100, it says, which would be severely damaging, if not disastrous, for many of the world's coastal cities. They've been saying this my whole life long. It hasn't happened yet. You know, it hasn't happened at all. And, uh, but they go on with, with scare tactics and scary stories, and I've read all these articles before, from these particular people and organizations that seem always give the public scary stories to get them to capitulate their own sensibilities. And then I want to go into this, because it's way more important as to how things are happening. It have been happening for a long time, because I mentioned in the 90s, when they first started spraying, uh, the skies with these very obvious new types of sprays from jet aircraft. And it really was incredibly noticeable when they first started in Ontario, Canada, but 1998, when to walk out your, your, your house one day and there's these perfect grid patterns in the sky, perfect spacing uh, from horizon to horizon of these grid patterns. And they were much lower then, too. I mean, you, you honestly, and that, what got me is, is people walking underneath it all, uh, oblivious. They, they weren't even looking up because nothing had been said on their news. And uh, that's what Brzezinski said in his book, uh, Between Two Ages. He said that, in, or the, in, the, in chapter, the technotronic year, etc. But he did say, he did say, that uh, shortly the public would be unable to think about anything if it wasn't on the previous day's news, and eventually they would want the media to do their thinking and reasoning for them. That's happened, you see. So they can walk out their homes and they can watch, look at the sky and say, my, no, nothing at all. They'd, in fact, if the media said that the weather was perfect today and beautiful, they'd all parrot that amongst themselves. Double think. They're what they see and then, and then what they're told. 
In an article I read many, many years ago, actually, was uh, the U.S. military wants to own the weather. And it was about the Air Force, the U.S. Uh, Air Force, and the Air Defense Meteorological Satellite Program, DMSP satellites, compared lights at night images before and after Hurricane Katrina, etc. Uh, this is part of their, their con at the time for going further with owning the weather. I think they already owned it by then. I mean, literally owned it completely. It says the one two hurricane punch from Katrina and Wilma, along with the, the predictions of more severe weather in the future, as scientists pondering ways to save lives. Now, they've already told you they want to drastically reduce population fast. So you, you can toss the last part of that sentence out the window, right? And, and it says, and possibly even control the weather. Yes, they do. And they do control it already. Well, efforts to tame storms have so far been clouded by failure. That's a little pun. Some researchers aren't willing to give up the fight. And even if changing the weather proves overly challenging, residents and disaster officials can do a better job planning and reacting. In fact, military officials and the weather modification experts could be on the verge of joining forces to better gauge, react to, and possibly nullify future hostile forces churned out by Mother Nature. And it goes on about uh, different things they can do and so on. And it's, it's very tame, really. But uh, they do mention in it, that, like, thunderbolts on demand. The military have looked at all these different things, too. That's a very old agenda, actually. Because during the days of Tesla, his lifetime, they wanted to know if they could uh, use weather control and thunderstorms and lightning to destroy enemy countries. Uh, so here we are. It says, what, what, a, what would a military strategist gain having an on switch to the weather? Clearly, it offers the ability to degrade the effectiveness of enemy forces. That could come from flooding an opponent's encampment or airfield to generating downright downpours that disrupt enemy troops' comfort levels. Well, just turn that on to the public, folks, you know. On the flip side, sparking a drought that cuts off fresh water can stir up morale problems for warfighting foes. Uh, even fooling around with fog and clouds can deny or create concealment, whichever weather manipulation does the needed job. And then they go into nanotechnology can be utilized to create clouds and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Well, we've been watching this for years and years till it's normal now. They also mentioned the, uh, the research paper, the initial one, which was written in the, the 90s, which I read on the air eventually. And it was um, part of a larger study dubbed Air Force 2025, Weather as a force multiplier. That's weather. And uh, uh, this is ongoing, ongoing, as they basically find out what really does work and works well. And they know that they've got it down to a fine art. Now, I've read articles, too, from the geoengineers that talk about what, how much they had to put in the air and will have to put in the air to make it um, stay up there for a long period of time, even over 100 years. It might take a hundred years for it to start to settle down again if they even stopped. They even said if they ever started, it could be have drastic effects. It tries to go back to normal. So you're not living under normal weather anymore. But look what it's going to achieve. Every nation on the planet is to give up all its rights and run it with the same scientific control over everybody's lives from birth to death under a global governmental system in order to save us all. In other words, this is the war. This is the technique and the answer to their prayers because everything else is pretty well has, hasn't worked very well. 
Not enough people have given up their rights and their brains, you see, and their ability to think. But this has done a better job because they've got, now they've got a generation who've got nothing but this stuff from, from uh, children's uh, uh, comics to, uh, all the way through schooling up to university, and they're completely brainwashed with it. Beautiful, isn't it? Also, Habitat 3. It says that once every 20 years global urban events. It says next week the UN Conference on Housing and Sustainable Urban Development, Habitat 3, will reinvigorate international commitment to sustainable urbanization. 54% of the global population lives in urban city areas. Cities can be the drivers of sustainable development. You better understand, this is well under its way. Because you're going to hear about this shortly as it toughed you off of the rural areas and that the guys that they cannot sustain your roads anymore and they can't sustain. It's unsustainable having power lines come in to supply power to you, etc. Yeah. It's but many are growing so fast they can't keep up with citizens' demands for services. So there you go. It's unsustainable. The World Bank Group delegation will lead and participate in a number of sessions at Habitat 3. GFDRR will present a report about the human and financial cost of disasters and here's the big oh, climate change, now that they own the weather, you see. You understand there's a lot of illnesses already coming out with the weather control. And anything you put into the atmosphere, they shouldn't be there. Uh, especially in the quantities as is now. And it's not CO2. It's not the pollution that you normally are told about. It's it's the the the, the aluminum oxide and barium and various other things that are in this particular spray that they're using every darn day on all of us. And some of the times it's so heavy with the concentrations of these minerals and so on, and metals that you'll see it. Like I saw it yesterday, coming through the clouds, overcast sky, coming through the clouds in straight long lines right over you. Uh, and, and coming lower and lower, which of course, if it was just water vapor, it wouldn't be uh, heavier than the clouds themselves, which is all, also water vapor. So there you go. But reality doesn't matter, does it? Anyway, it says uh, there aren't many groups that wait 20 years to meet, but that is in fact the case with upcoming United Nations Conference on Housing and Sustainable Urban Development, otherwise known as Habitat 3, taking place in Quito. Ecuador, October 17th to the 20th. Pulling together urban specialists. There you go, all the specialists. Folk you don't vote about, you see, it's, it's all there. Urban specialists, policymakers, uh, again, policymakers, it's just policies, think tanks, that's the think tanks that advise governments or, or tell governments what to do. City leaders and civil society representatives from around the world. The goal of the Habitat 3 conference is to reinvigorate international commitment to sustainable urbanization and to focus on the implementation of a new urban agenda. Hmm. So they're going to do the new urban agenda, building on the previous meetings of Habitat Agenda of Habitat 2, Istanbul, 1996, and of Habitat 1, Vancouver, 1976. Habitat 3 will be one of the first global summits after the adoption of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, said Senior Vice President Mahmoud Mohildan who will lead the bank group delegation. Naturally, of course he's leading the bank group. They're the, they're the guys that want it all. They call the carbon credits as the tax that blazes out of you. Every utopia serves the same folk at the top, folks. I mean, 
It says it offers a unique opportunity to discuss the important challenge of how cities, towns and villages are planned and managed in order to fulfill their role as drivers of sustainable development. So that's the role of, of towns and cities, you see. That's your role too. And it says, and shape the implementation of a new global development and climate change goals, it says. Ooh. An urbanizing world, globally 54% of the population live in urban areas today, and this trend is expected to continue. They will continue because, you see, they're going to get most of you out of the country and into the overcrowded cities. This, is, this agenda was mentioned many years ago. I've read the previous um, Habitat meetings. Sustainable development and all the more strong ones too. And it's just ongoing. Every part, as I say, of managing a human population in what's called the scientific method, which is the big boys at the top being eventually a species removed from you altogether. And they actually refer to themselves as that, as being in the know of what reality is, since they create it for all the rest of us. And where they want to go with themselves and how they want to start culling off the population, lowering it, etc. And as they say it's unsustainable that we cannot supply you all with power or energy, that's part of technocracy, by the way. Then uh, if you take power away and energy away from the people, then they start to die with disease or they freeze to death or whatever happens to be, or even people in very hot areas can't use uh, their air conditioners too expensive and they die. It's happening now in different places. And then see, by the middle of the century, the number of people living in cities will increase by 50%. So there you go. And it's going to start awfully, awfully soon, actually, with the carbon taxes. You see, as you're driven off the land, because you won't be able to afford to live on the land anymore. And it says, what's the challenge? Well, cities are growing so fast they aren't keeping up with the demands for infrastructure and services. Well, cities are critical engines of global growth. They're increasingly vulnerable to natural disasters. Investment is therefore needed now in urban resilience to protect hard-won development gains. Now, it says the World Bank Group will present Habitat 3, uh, a report on urban resilience. So that's all worked out, too, you see, by other think tanks on their behalf. Developed in partnership with the Global Facility for Disaster Reduction and Recovery, the report called Investing in Urban Resilience projects that by 2030 disasters will cost cities $314 billion and climate change may push up to 77 million urban residents into poverty. No, you see, all the con games to do with this are going to put the urban folk into poverty and all your, your carbon taxes and energy taxes and all the other taxes because that's the agenda to, to always enrich the ones at the top who are already incredibly rich uh, as they, they cull your population you see they cull the population down and uh, so there you go and they always give you a, a scary scenario if you don't do this this will happen and uh, by 2030 uh, uh, it says 60% of places that will be urbanized by 2030 yet to be built. The world has a window of opportunity. So you got a window. If you don't go, some, someone closes that window. I guess they must, you know, close it shut or something behind you. And that's it. So there you go. That's another scary scenario. And how, but how beneficial to the world it will be. And then to bring the World Bank at Habitat 3. Exactly what Carl Quigley said in his book. He worked for the group that, that drafted all this stuff up. 
and uh, the CFR and all the rest of it, and he trained a lot of the uh, the people who worked in the State Department. So he was in, in, in the big global plan back in his day too. But he did mention that uh, they would bring uh, the Bank for International Settlements up to, to full power and the World Bank Group to full power when they've pretty well achieved their objective. Well, he, it's, it's all here now, you see. It's all here now. And it says that uh, they'll participate in a number of sessions to share knowledge and experience in urban development, as well as to discuss uh, what it will take to build inclusive, resilient, productive and livable cities. In line with the World Bank Group's goals to end extreme poverty, they always give you this rubbish because they don't believe it at all. They don't, they, their idea is to create poverty and have you die off. They won't be living in these cities, not these people. And it says World Bank supported operations and technical assistance contribute to the objectives of the Sustainable Development Goal Number 11 to make cities inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. Well, you better. Look at the, the terminology again And always don't forget sustainable And it goes through Some things in more detail With planning for inclusive green or Competitive cities And uh, connecting firms To markets and people to jobs Which is a big joke eh? um, As they, they already gave you uh, A manufacturing process All made in China now Not for you They've got sustainable mobility for all. Interesting. Within the framework of its transport initiative called Sustainable Mobility for All, that's when they maybe give you a bus occasionally, you know, and a ticket as well. The World Bank is assisting client countries and cities in developing urban transport projects. Urban transport projects, that's buses or trains. They've been on about this for years. Everywhere they've tried it, uh, it fails. But that doesn't matter. You only live in a third world global system shortly, you see. As you die off, that's the agenda. I've read all the articles before, but you dying off in these overcrowded cities. And they'll, they'll, they'll profit off you too, as, as you're dying off, by the way. Yeah. Financing to meet uh, cities' global, global uh, growing needs is the final pillar. So financing. So they've got to tax the blazes out of you to make it all work. Because they've got a lot of more bureaucracies to, to work up and, and give jobs to and, and pay but using your money as they tax it all off you. And going forward, all the usual terminology, you know. This is while the World Bank is the largest investor in urban development, said Sam uh, Nagub Waba, the director of the urban development, we need to look beyond what we can do with our money to support our clients and uh, to how we can leverage the private sector and the capital markets. It's only through this added resource that can help us rise up to the scale of a new urban agenda, which is like a <laughs> something a politician would say, isn't it? But he added, though, uh, although the scope for a subnational borrowing is significant, the reality is you need to start with the underlying foundations. You need to have modern municipal accounting systems. That's when they have two systems of books. One to tell the taxpayer and one for themselves. It says you need to enhance revenues and you need to rationalize the expenditures if those cities are ever going to go into sustainable development borrowing. If you don't have the basic systems in place and an enabling national regulatory framework, you don't have sustainable municipal borrowing. So it's right down to municipal level. Uh, you understand that they're going to get rid of nations as such. Again, the regions, etc. I've heard about them oh, countless times before, so I'm so sick of them. 
But uh, all this goes on and on and on, and you don't don't elect any of this. Anybody dealing with this, you you have no, you don't elect any of them. Most of you don't even. Most people out there around you, at least, don't even know these organisations exist and what they're up to. They have no, haven't got a clue. They have no clue. Even folk who think they're they're into the alternative media and I want, they don't really want entertainment. That's what they're after. They don't go into this kind of stuff in detail. Except maybe if I mention it, then they might have to follow it. Just try and show that they're really legit. But the thing is, they want entertainment. That's what they want. The people, the people want entertainment. And let's be honest, it takes a hard stomach to stomach all this, this stuff. Do you realize how angry you could get, realizing that you really have no such thing as democracy? And if you really dig into it deep enough, you find out you never, ever did. And even all those people who think they're fighting for democracy and for all the agendas that are already passed and in action to change society have been used as part of a disabling system to destroy the culture and the people within the culture. Disable them mentally in every other way. And then this one here from the Rockefeller Foundation. Michael Berkowitz is to do with why cities matter for sustainable development. And it's his 71st session of the United Nations General Assembly officially opens this week in New York, and much attention will rightly be given to the successful implementation of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which were adopted at last year's General Assembly and officially came into force as of 1st of January 2016. Through our work, we are 100 resilient cities, and we're particularly proud to contribute towards the achievement of SDG2, which focuses on building sustainable cities and communities. You're looking at totalitarianism here, where you can't make a single decision for yourself or your future or plan anything. That's what they're talking about here. In many ways, cities are greatest risk, blah, blah, blah. The challenges presented by climate change, ah, rapid migration, ah, and disasters, ah, both man-made, ah, and natural, ho oh, oh, most acutely uh, affect cities, it says. But cities are also our greatest opportunity. They're the places where innovation happens, where solutions that improve lives are born, where wealth generation is accelerated, and where efficiency gains are most achievable. That's why they want you to swallow this lie and jump into the cities. You see? That's what it's about. And uh, so here they are, uh, this, this guy is so proud, it says, to lead 100RC, an organization incubated and pioneered by the Rockefeller Foundation to help cities worldwide build resilience to the social, economic, and physical challenges of the 21st century. You don't vote on any of these characters either, folks. And I'll also put up some other things from the Rockefeller Foundation to do with all of this kind of thing. Foundations, as I said before, are the way around governments uh, because they pay off most of the politicians. They are the government, you might say. They create the armies and fund the armies and the authorized NGOs and pay them awfully well at the top of the NGOs to push for various changes, which you hear about occasionally on the, on the news, what's called news anyway. Even have transforming health systems in here. I hope you realize that's all part of depopulation and providing. Remember, the wording is so important. 
every country signed on to at the United Nations, that every country will provide the minimal health care. And you always think, well, it won't happen here because we've got better. No, no, they're talking about you too. Minimum health care. Not what they could give you, but minimum. Now they're giving you euthanasia in Canada. How's that? It's a lot cheaper than treating you. Easy to get you to take it too. They just ban you from getting any, any medication. It might kill pains, for instance. Until you'd be forced to go and take it. Okay, give me that cheap pill. They really care about people. When they could treat you and give you year, add years to your life. No, no, no. Not for you. You're not important enough. I was pretty well told that when I was in the hospital. I wasn't important enough. <laughs> not for the likes of you. <laughs> anyway, it says, uh, The year is 2030. Forget about flying cars, robot maids, and moving sidewalks. We were promised that's not happening. But that doesn't mean the future is a total unknown. Well, it depends who you listen to, doesn't it? There's unknown knowns and known unknowns and yada, yada, yada. According to a startling Pentagon video obtained by The Intercept, it said, the future of global cities will be an amalgam of the settings of Escape from New York and Robocop. I think this article is by Nick Terse, who's, I think he's even worked with The Nation, you know, the other part of this big agenda. Anyway, it says, with dashes of the warriors and divergent, I've never seen divergent thrown in, it says, it will be the world of Robert Kaplan-esque urban hellscapes, brutal and anarchic, super cities filled with gangs of youth gone wild, arrestive underclass criminal syndicates and bands of malicious hackers. What you saw in Robocop, in other words. At least that's the scenario outlined in megacities over in the future, the emerging complexity, a five-minute video that's been used at the Pentagon's Joint Special Operations University. All that stands between the coming chaos and the good people of Lagos and Dhaka, or maybe even New York City, is the U.S. Army, according to the video, which The Intercept obtained via the Freedom of Information Act. That's what it says. And whether the video is real or not, I just don't know. But there you go. It wouldn't surprise me because they, they have churned out stacks of stuff like this before and admitted to it. The video is nothing if not an instant dystopian classic, melancholy music, an ominous voiceover, and cascading images of sprawling slums and urban conflict. And that, that is what they're going to give you, you see. Uh, if, you're, if you're not an, an A-grade plus or a plus good city, you're going to be in one of these overcrowded cities uh, intended to be taxed to death, uh, die off with because you don't have the money for energy when it's winter time and things like that. You won't have the medical care either. They might, they might still give you the cheap pills to kill you. And this is what they project for most people in the, in the world to get them down to a sustainable level of, of, of pure utopia for those at the top. That's what it's really all about. <laughs> By the time they've killed us all down to the number that they desire, uh, then... Uh, they'll, they'll be different, they'll be part cyborg, they think, or way beyond that with all the, the techno-genetic engineering, etc. Although they mustn't change their brains, they said. They must stay well, people. They mustn't be indoctrinated like all the pros are. Because uh, they'll, they'll, the ones at the top need to have the wild man, as Charles Gottendarm has said, who can make decisions natural and un, unhindered by any emotions and just wild survival for the, for them you see that's it's all there isn't it it's all been done really 
Anyway, the video was used as part of an advanced special operations combating terrorism course offered at JSOU earlier this year for a lesson on the emerging terrorism threat. The JSOU is operated by U.S. Special Operations Command, the umbrella organization for America's most elite troops, it says here. And megacities are, by definition, urban areas with a population of 10 million or more, and they've been a recent source of worry and research for the U.S. military. It goes on and on. I'll put it up for those that want to to look at it or can stomach it. They can. They always create the scenarios that they say will be hard to manage, etc. Because, you see, they plan it and make it happen by making you all poor, as it tax you to save the world. MEP carbon taxes and penalties and energy taxes. And uh, eventually you'll die off down to their perfect number. And by that time, as I say, they'll be all changed at the top. They'll be immortal, physically immortal. That's what they hope for. They've admitted it in many of their writings before. But not all of you. If you're up at their level of class, you've evolved far more than you've evolved. That's what they say. And, and yeah, since you haven't, Joined them, therefore you're, you're all left behind. You are your genes have run their their course, and it can't go any higher for you. That's what they actually say. These elitists, quite something, isn't it? Now, I also give you this article here. It says Singapore may become the city of the future, and an, an Orwellian nightmare. It says. It's a smart nation program. It's got sensors and cameras be deployed across the city to monitor and collect data on citizens' daily living habits and conditions at a more detailed level. We've, we've already got it here, I'm sure. Fast-paced technological development cities around the globe are progressing to what are probably known as smart cities, which makes use of technology to provide better services to their residents. Oh, it's for better, that's what it's for us. I didn't know that all, that, all the spying was to make better services happen. Singapore is a smart city known for its autonomous systems on security and maintenance, its forthcoming driverless taxis, and soon enough it's going to get even more complex. The country's smart nation program uh, says here development, uh, an unstated number of sensors and cameras will be spread across the city, allowing the government to monitor possibly everything, a Norwegian nightmare in the making if ever there was one. We've got that too, I'm sure. I'll put this up regardless tonight. And the Eurogroup ministers back further bailouts loans for Greece. Interesting that the, the, the economist who was in the Greek government, who, if those who can remember, refused a bailout, another loan from the, the, the central bank of the European Union, con game. He talks to Noam Chomsky. Uh, and forget the names of these people, it doesn't matter. But he talks to Noam Chomsky. Uh, and, and it does get a few things out, which is interesting. And that is that there's another group above even the, the European Central Bank Group, which no one's heard of before, run by uh, Thomas Weiser. This is a talk that he gave in New York recently, this, this Greek economist uh, with, and, and with uh, as I say, Noam Chomsky. And it's quite amazing, he says, to relate, because he thought he knew everything as a, a guy who was appointed by the Greek government as a top economist. And, and he had no idea that the, the people he was dealing with had another shadow group above them. 
Because there's nothing democratic about the whole system. It's a con game, and that's the same con game that's into the world government, the one that you're all under, under the same merging treaties of NAFTA, etc., for the Americas. I'll put down in there too, Eurogroup Working Group as well. It's an advisory body, it says, to the Eurogroup of the European Union. only came out because I think because of this particular uh, economist talking about it. No one knew. He didn't know himself initially. And the Economic and Financial Committee, European Union, again, um, gives you agenda and the composition of this EFC, they call it, an advisory body. And the, the, all the rest of them can make no movements without these unelected, this unelected group making all the decisions and giving approval. That's how things really are, isn't it? It's completely different from the way anything's presented to anybody. It's quite something, isn't it? Sad that, but true. We are in a false game here, false version of reality. But they want your compliance to go along with everything. That's when they give you all these scary things. And tell you that, oh, everything's going to fall apart if you don't go along with it. It's, it's astonishing how, how double-think works across the board, doesn't it? It's everywhere you look. And I hate to rush through this talk, but that's how it is, unfortunately, before they come to the end of this talk. I could go on and on, but again, uh, these topics, these particular topics are pretty heavy topics for most folk. And all it does is reaffirm the fact that you're in a completely fake reality. The system of reality is with people you've unelected, they create it all for you, they plan it all, your whole life has been planned for you didn't know it, and your parents before you. But they're 10 year plans, 50, 100 year plans, all different parts of stages of plans for different phases of the agenda, different areas. It's been done. Sad, isn't it? Most folk haven't a clue. Most folk have been trained to feel guilty that they exist. Look what they've done to Mother Nature, for goodness sake. By the way, anyone who phones, or has phoned lately, phone again, because uh, someone did call and I, I didn't quite catch the name, and it could have been important. I try and also get back to a lot of people on email, but I always have a backlog. But uh, I try and get back, so I read everything. It's not like I, I ignore everything at all, or, or just ignore big chunks of it. I always make sure that I I try and get back to people uh, that have been in touch with me for years, and newcomers as well, if need be. But don't don't think I'm just tossing your mail in the garbage if I can't get back to you right away. Well, from myself, Alan Watt, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>